Well, here we are this morning launching Advent. It is hard to believe that it is here already. This time for preparing our hearts and our minds for the coming of the Christ child again. And thank God literally that we get to participate in this event year after year after year. Maybe you're like me, friends, and you didn't grow up in a faith tradition or a denomination that followed the church calendar called the liturgical calendar, which somewhat like the seasonal calendar of fall, winter, spring, and summer follows the seasons of the church. And in the church liturgical calendar, the new year begins with the first Sunday of Advent, which is either the last Sunday of November or the first Sunday of December. This season of Advent includes four Sundays with each Sunday focusing on one primary theme of either hope, love, peace, or joy. With Christmas Eve service bringing all of those together in the uplifting messages of our beloved Christmas carols. This morning we give primary focus to the theme of hope. And do we ever need to cling on to hope? Now more than ever. In the midst of this pandemic, in the aftermath of a contentious election that did nothing thus far in terms of unity in our country, and in continued personal challenges and just the normal ups and downs of our lives. All around us, we sense or live in times of some despair. Each of us, both personally and collectively, live in a world and in a space where seemingly hopeless situations abound and it can lead us to despair. We live in despair of the sundry ills and isms that plague our everyday lives. In despair of a nation that perpetuates racism and xenophobia and homophobia from the highest office and the whitest house in the land placing broad-sweeping biases and real threats against those who are seen as the other. When unarmed and vulnerable black and brown bodies are still being slaughtered against the pavement, while the blood-stained memories of our Native American brothers and sisters cry out for justice, we live in despair. While the rate of violence increases and the only responses some offer are thoughts and prayers. Rather than viable action, we live in despair. When decades of fighting for justice, for the civil rights of marriage equality are threatened to be undone before Ruth Bader Ginsburg's body can be in the grave. And many of us who are labeled LGBTQ still have no federal protection to live under the same roof without fear of being evicted to eat together at a dining establishment without fear of being asked to leave or successfully perform a job without fear of being fired simply because of the gender or identity of the person with whom we choose to share our love and life. Yes, friends, these are still the injustices very much present. We live in despair. And we hear the ill of ageism. When our elderly brothers and sisters' deaths in nursing homes are minimized when they die of COVID-19 because, after all, they were old anyway. So many still assume no responsibility for simple gestures of wearing a mask and keeping a safe distance from one another. That's living in despair. And we certainly live in our own despair where disease hits our bodies or those we deeply love. 
where trouble is on our mind and our bills are due and fears keep us up at night. Our friends and faith ancestors in Isaiah are living within the circumstances of despair. These words that Pam read, ah, these directives from chapter 40 verses 1 through 11 are offered as those in the text are living in circumstances of deep despair. They're living in despair as a people who have endured the exodus and its aftermath. People who experience exotic years in the wilderness. They're living in despair as they witness foreign occupation, widespread de destruction of lands among them, oppression from the Babylonians, and even the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple, their most sacred of spaces, despair. And as a result of the despair of their lives and of their world, this passage is instructing the people who claim a belief in God indeed to claim their belief in God. In other words, to not only talk the talk of their faith, but to walk the walk. So the prophet Isaiah is leading the people to look toward the divine's promise that amidst the despair and hopelessness and lamenting, God will come with strength and power and will comfort as a shepherd tending for God's lambs, taking us upon God's heavenly and hope-filled lap, and gently guiding and nursing us for the journey we are in and that which is ahead. God's people are living in despair, surrounded by circumstances that seem to be hopeless. They're living among situations that appear to be insurmountable. They understand that their own power and their own will is not enough to uproot their world. Are any of us or those we know living in despair like this in the midst of this pandemic? And yet, and yet they maintain a sense of hope in the one who's able. They position themselves in this posture of hope toward the one who can bring about change in their condition and in their souls and lives. They acknowledge and pray to that one they trust that will bring them out of exile and into liberation. And that's called hope. Although we may live amidst hopeless situations, the advent of the Christ child empowers us too to hope. For the good news, my brothers and sisters, is that we've been given the capacity and the opportunity to hope despite any of our current situations. We've been given the power to see visions in the face of our despair. And through the advent of Christ, we can hope afresh and anew. New hope. New hope. I'm talking about hopes for the here and now. Our hopes that can and will be made manifest here on this earth. In theological terms, that's called realized eschatology. Certainly, we love. And we love to think about our hopes of a life to come after our earthly life is over. We hope and we wait in expectancy for the after while, when the morning comes, by and by, can he soon and very soon, when we all get to heaven. And yet, we're given the power to hope anew for right now. Hopes for a right world. Hopes for the glory of God to be revealed and for all flesh to see it together. Hopes that await the day when the kingdom of the world fully becomes the kingdom of God. And that our brother in God's holy son Jesus who pleads with us to make room in our hearts and minds 
for the coming of God anew. Oh, it might be easier, of course, to not hope. And there are some that advocate for leaving our days of despair just where they are. And some even suggest our world is fine just as it is. There's no need for a new vision. Why should we hope? What does it do? Hoping doesn't pay the bills, right? But we are not those people, or at least we claim to not be those people. We are empowered but to not give up hoping. Our very lives and our claims of belief in a possible God that can do impossible things do not allow us, friends, to cop out of envisioning a new world. It is far too simple to place a ceiling on our expectations to believe little rather than to believe big. But it is in moments of despair, friends, such as these disconcerting times, that we're encouraged to go high on the mountain, raise our voices and without fear proclaim, here is your God and my God and their God. Indeed, a God that is big enough for all of us in a way that we don't have to raise a voice of arrogance or indifference or argument that our way of defining God is the only way or even the best way. Rather, we trust God to sort all that out while God trusts us to simply live out our claim of God's presence in our lives in the way and time that God speaks to us. And not only are we expected to hope, friends, but we're invited to build those hopes into realities. For the gospel lesson today teaches us that this enduring hope, however, must not be paired with a lasting lethargy. We're invited to make our hopes transcend the reality of any present nightmare, whatever that might be. As we too can feel tossed about, landing in the middle of a wilderness filled with temptations and all matter of evil, around us. And yet the gospel writer of Mark reminds us, without any birth story, by the way, now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. In this time of Advent, we're invited to work alongside the divine incarnate to bring about a new age where our hopes prosper and where New life is breathed into our heart's decay. The gospel author beckons us to participate in tongues that will tear open the heavens, in actions of resistance that will cause the mountains to quake, the mountains of injustice and despair and lost hope, and in the disposition of an active hope that will agitate the realms of power in our world. This is our faithful response to the hope of the forthcoming incarnation of God, a vigilant waiting and an active faith that does believe now is the time, prophetic hope for ourselves and for our world. In this week's film that many of us watched, we saw such hope as that. Defiant Requiem highlights the most dramatic example of intellectual and artistic courage in the Terezin concentration camp during World War II. The remarkable story of Raphael Schatzler, a brilliant young Czech conductor who was arrested and sent to Terezin in 1941. 
you watched the film, you saw when they had to throw everything that they wanted to take in one small piece of luggage, he threw the score of that opera. And then he demonstrated moral leadership under the most brutal circumstances. Determined to sustain courage and hope for his fellow prisoners by enriching their souls through great music. His most extraordinary act was to recruit 150 prisoners and teach them Verdi's Requiem by rote in a dark cellar using a single score over multiple rehearsals and after grueling days of forced labor. The Requiem was performed on 16 occasions for fellow prisoners. The last most infamous performance occurred on June 23, 1944 before high-ranking SS officers from Berlin and the International Red Cross to support the charade that the prisoners were treated well and flourishing. And yet with testimony provided by surviving members of this concentration camp choir, the film explores the singer's view of Verdi as a work of defiance and resistance against Nazis. As their conductor, Schatzler, told the chorus, we will sing to the Nazis what we cannot say to them. Powerful statements about the essence of the human spirit when faced with horrific and seemingly hopeless circumstance. And yet, friends, rather than mourning the circumstance, they followed Isaiah's directive to raise their voice and Mark's gospel to trust the good news of God's presence and of God's promise filled with God's hope. downstairs and there was a man sitting and he just said I want to know do all of you like to sing if people are robbed of freedom they want to be creative, and they were. Where this music is powerful, it represents a threat. And it was a tremendous challenge to have the Germans right there in front of us and tell them to their face. something which made us strong. It has given us a resistance against our fate. Doing a performance was not entertainment. It was a fight for life. This world is requiem. Put all of us into another world. This was not the world with the Nazis. This was our world. These were hours of pure joy, as much as you can 
called Joy in Camp. Here they were, surrounded by man's worst, and these Jewish prisoners were determined to remind everyone of man's best. And I brought the Verdi here because I want to assure these people that we've heard them. Many of the same ways, albeit not anywhere near the magnitude of the Holocaust. During this pandemic, we too have been exiled and are feeling enormous grief. Exiled from one another and, and even from our church sanctuary where we've already seen you all comment this morning about how much you miss it and we miss you. We've been exiled from one another and from the rhythms of life that help us feel settled. We too are left with both wondering and wandering of the what next. And so we hope. We hope even with our worries and concerns, despite disappointment or frustration. We hope even when we're living in a period of pandemic or while we fight for a new exodus. We hope when others around us are continuing to destroy the land and its people. Keep hoping, keep working, Keep hoping and one day we just might look up and realize that God is still hoping too. Keep hoping until we see order stemming out of chaos. Until we see a new light emerging from the old darkness. Keep hoping, friends, till we see new life being breathed into piles of dust. Keep hoping and keep working. Until we see God doing a new thing and making all things new. Until we see God fixing hearts and regulating minds. Until we see God indeed making hills and mountains low and exalting valleys. Until we see God making all the crooked places straight and the rough places plain. Until we begin to see and work together with God for the kingdom of God on earth. And so along with hope and work. We keep believing. We keep believing in the sun even when it's not shining. We keep believing in love even in times when we might not feel it. We keep believing in God even when it seems that God is silent. And we listen to these words, raise your voice and don't be afraid. For my friends, here comes God with strength and comfort and nourishment Gently guiding our next steps in uncertain and sometimes uphill walks into a wilderness full of temptations and struggles and unknown. Now is the time we hear. Change your hearts and your lives and trust the good news. Hope, work, believe, even when. In the name of the one who was and who is and who is beckoning to come into our lives anew. Thanks for joining us for the Bluegrass United Church of Christ podcast. We'd love to have you join us for a service sometime. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at 500 Don Anna Drive in Lexington, Kentucky. 
You can find us online at bluegrasschurch.org.